Brill, um, we've been looking at the life and words and deeds of Jesus, haven't we? Who do you say I am has been our series. Um, the question Jesus asked his disciples, asked Peter, who do you say I am? And we've been following that. We've looked at all he said he did. Um, we've looked at all that Mark said he said. We've heard Jesus predict three times about this day we celebrate today. Uh, because Mark's really brief in what he writes, it means Jesus probably said it far more than three times. Three times he predicts he's going to die, and three times he predicts he's going to rise again. And so we stand here now three days later from his crucifixion, and we celebrate, because it truly is good news, isn't he? Jesus is alive. It's amazing news. We've just sung great words. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. Great words of praise. But I don't know about you, as I've sung those words today, or similar ones before, and as I've been praying for this week, I found myself thinking, what difference does the resurrection really make to my life? Uh, why does it matter? It's just like I, I haven't necessarily pondered huge amounts. Uh, on Good Friday on the cross, we see Jesus, we see God himself take the punishment we deserve for the rebellion we've had against him. We see our sin paid for, and he cries, didn't he? We looked last week, he cries, it is finished, sin dealt with. But what about Easter Sunday? I know it's amazing, I know it's unparalleled, I know it's powerful, I know it's awesome. But let me ask you the same question I've been asking myself. What difference does the resurrection, what difference does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead make to your life today? For some people, it may not make a huge amount of difference to your day-to-day -day life. Maybe you're visiting today, great, welcome. Or maybe for others, you're going, it makes all the difference, Johnny. It makes all the difference every single day. The fact Jesus rose from the dead affects absolutely everything. I wonder where on the scale you'd put yourself. Maybe let me put it another way. If you didn't believe in the resurrection, how would your life be different? How would you live your life differently if you didn't believe in the resurrection? You see, if I really believe this, if I really believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that as we've seen Mark lay out, he is God on earth who came to die in our place and has risen again, if I really believe that, then it'll change everything. It'll impact every area of my life. Think back to Peter. We looked at him last week, didn't we? Uh, we love Peter. Peter denied Jesus. The verses Lanks had just read, no Peter, no mention of him at all. He's abandoned Jesus as he's died. Peter hasn't believed him when he said he'd rise again. He's not there. But Peter, who would then see the risen Jesus we see later, and who would risk his whole life then to tell people about him and eventually give up his own life because he knew Jesus was alive. For him, the resurrection made all the difference. Zoom forward to another man called Saul. Jewish man. He used to persecute those in the early church. He killed many of them. We had many of them killed as well. He sees the risen Jesus, and his life completely changes. He becomes Paul, the Paul we know of. And he goes on to say in one of his letters, as Lanks read at the start of the service, if I'm wrong about this, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I've wasted my whole life. And I stand here today and I say the same. For me, 
It's April Fool's Day, but it's no April Fool. I truly believe that Jesus, this man we've been looking at, died and then rose again. And I believe it makes all the difference. So what we're going to do with our passage, we're just going to do just that. We're going to establish he really died. It's helpful as we start. We're going to establish that he's risen. And then we're going to land back to that question. What difference does the resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, really make in our life? So firstly, it sounds silly, but Jesus really died. And if we look here, we see that. I don't know if anyone else here likes a good conspiracy theory. Um, I'm quite a fan. There's some corkers out there. I don't really believe them. But they're quite entertaining. Um, there's basic one like the fact that Elvis is alive still. Um, he works as a groundsman in Graceland. Here he is. Um, there he is. Somebody genuinely thinks that's Elvis. Um, that is Graceland, which I think is genius. My favourite one, though, argues that many US presidents, uh, many rich people, and our royal family and other important people are actually reptilian humanoids. Um, there we go. It's an exclusive. That is what Theresa May actually is. And they are running the world. Reptilian humanoids. Bizarre. Conspiracy theory. Some people actually believe this. Absolute gold. And for some people here today, I'm going to take that off because it's distracting, and many around the world, they say that the resurrection is just a hoax. They say Jesus never actually died. And with all conspiracy theories or hoaxes, we say, give me the evidence and I might believe it. If somebody showed me a photo that proved Theresa May was actually a giant lizard, I might entertain the possibility that it's true. And we say just the same thing when it comes to the resurrection. It's the same if someone was to come and say someone had risen from the dead. If somebody came in now and said, look, this person's risen from the dead, we'd want to see some evidence, wouldn't we? We'd at least want to be able to hear from and speak to eyewitnesses who we trusted. And Mark is doing that just here. And he wants to leave us in no doubt that Jesus actually died, and then later in our passage that he actually rose again. So in verse 43 of our passage, we saw it, if you look down at Mark 15, we meet Joseph of Arimathea. He's an important man, he's well known, he wants to bury Jesus. They were rushing to get him buried before the end of the Sabbath. So Joseph goes, he speaks to Pilate, Pilate the governor of Judea, who had originally allowed Jesus to be crucified. And he goes and gets, he needs to get his permission to bury Jesus. Pilate's very surprised, Jesus is already dead. Um, a number of us were at the, watching The Passion on Friday night. Crucifixion is brutal. And sometimes you genuinely actually died. You didn't die often from bleeding or from your wounds. You died from suffocation as you ran out of energy, as you hung on the cross, and eventually you just couldn't stand up anymore and breathe. So he was surprised. It could take days crucifixion. But Jesus had been pretty badly beaten beforehand, and he'd already died. So Pilate, he gets the centurion, the centurion to oversee the crucifixion, and he gets the centurion to see if it was true or not. Is Jesus actually dead yet? The centurion confirms he's dead and he allows Joseph to take the body. We see then Joseph, he takes Jesus' body. He'd bought some linen. He looks after him. He takes the body, wraps it in linen and places it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolls a giant rock across the entrance. We then see some of Jesus' friends, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So as we get to the end of this section of the passage, how many people are sure that Jesus actually died? I count at least five. You've got Joseph, he's sure, or he wouldn't have asked for the body. You've got the centurion, he's sure, because he watched Jesus die, and he's kind of an expert in execution. They did a lot of this. He knew he was dead. Pilate was sure as he asked his centurion, and he handed the body over. And the two women were sure as they saw the body laid in the tomb. 
in some ways it's a bit of an obsolete passage, isn't it? There's just lots of names of people who saw Jesus was dead. But see what Mark's doing. He's saying he's definitely dead. And he's saying there are actual witnesses you can speak to who will confirm this. He names them with detail. The other Gospels give more evidence that he actually died. But when this book was written, most of the eyewitnesses would have still been alive to go and speak to if you wanted to do a fact check. And Mark is saying Jesus really was dead. He's saying this isn't a legend, this is history. There's a man uh, whose book is well worth reading, his biography, a man called Nabil Qureshi. He was a Muslim man. He came to faith in his 20s. Um, he became convinced around the evidence for Jesus' death and resurrection. A long time thinking about it. He said this from his research, and there's many quotes like this from other people. He said, no matter how you look at it, whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, a Jew, a Buddhist, however you look at it, if you're a historian and you're studying the evidence of Jesus' life, you have to conclude that he died on the cross. Every scholar who studies Jesus' life concludes that Jesus died on the cross. In fact, what they say that, if we can know anything about Jesus' life, it's that we know he died on the cross under Pontius Pilate. So Jesus actually died. Now, if Mark had finished there at the end of chapter 15, or even after verse 3 of chapter 16, we see at the start of chapter 16, we see uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene, um, Salome, uh, going with spices to the tomb. If Mark had finished there, we'd never have heard of this man, Jesus. He's just another dead man. True, a dead man who claimed to be God, but that wasn't massively rare at this time. For people to claim to be the Messiah, they were springing up all over the shop in the first century, and they all had the same pattern. Someone claims to be the Messiah, that person gets killed, and the movements and the followers then disband and collapse. It's a relatively regular pattern. I don't know if any of you like reading biographies of great men and women. Um, I've been reading this one recently. Um, it's The Life of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a Welsh uh, preacher. It's well worth reading in the 20th century, a Welsh preacher really standing up for biblical truth. But Martin Lloyd-Jones' biography, as I flick through the chapter headings, I've not quite finished it yet, but I know exactly where it's going to finish. They all start the same way, don't they? So it starts with his early life. It talks about his school days. It talks about him moving to Wales. They all talk about their career. A biography generally, it's pretty boring if it didn't do much in my life. All about the career, and then the final chapter here, dying, he worshipped, is the final chapter. And every single biography follows exactly the same pattern, doesn't it? But Jesus' story is different. All four Gospels of Jesus, all four biographies, they don't end here with his death. They say he came back to life. And that's where we go now. Jesus is really alive. Because in this chapter, we see these three faithful women. They go to the tomb and they expect to put special spices on a dead man. Three women, they didn't know who was going to help move the stone. They asked that question, don't they? Maybe they wondered if one of the Roman guards we hear about in another gospel uh, might help them. Probably they just did it out of blind love. Probably they just did it going, we need to do something. Our saviour is dead, our Lord is dead, we need to go and do something pretty useless from a practical point of view, but they wanted to help. But they arrive at the tomb and find amazingly that it's been rolled away. Now, get into their shoes. I wonder what their first thoughts would have been. We probably read this with our eyes from the 20th century. I hazard a guess, though, that what their first thought wasn't, oh, wow, Jesus has risen from the dead. And we see that in the next few verses. We see their surprise and their fear. 
they didn't have a clue what had happened. The word rolled away is better translated hurled out. They walk in, they find an angel described as a young man dressed in a white robe and they were scared, which is fair enough. It's not a common occurrence. It's not now, it wasn't then. And the angel comforts them, doesn't he? He says, don't be alarmed, verse six of chapter 16. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. What words, he has risen. This is ultimately amazingly supernatural and completely contrary to the laws of nature. It's not anything ever said about a dead person, but God who made the laws of nature, he's reversed them here. A dead man has been raised and it's mind blowing for us as it was for them then. Notice how, Jesus, uh, how the angel says Jesus for Nazarene. He's reminding us, he's reminding the women, yes, this was the man Jesus the one who ate, the one who slept, the one who lived, the one who breathed on this earth, the man who then bled and died. He's going, his death was real. The angel goes, see, this is where they laid him. He's going to the women, you're not dreaming. You're not in the wrong place. It really did happen. It's based in reality, this. Jesus from Nazareth, the same man who cried out in that last chapter, didn't he? He cried out, it is finished declaring he had paid for the wrongdoing of the world. The word he cried, tetelestai, it is finished. The same word used to say a bill had been paid. Tetelestai, the same word you'd use today when an essay was finished or a project complete or at the age of 105 when you finally pay off your mortgage. Tetelestai, tetelestai, it is finished. Jesus for Nazarene did die. He was crucified and he died for our sins, it is finished. He's not here, he has risen. But that's not the end of the story, is it? The angel says he's gone ahead of you into Galilee. See that at the end of this chapter. There you will see him just as he told you. And trembling and bewildered, the women fled from the tomb and said nothing. I think we can understand what they were thinking. Trembling and bewildered. Now, a few things before we move on and just look at the impact. Some ways you could ask why the surprise the women were surprised, they were bewildered, but why was nobody su- suspecting a resurrection? Nobody was expecting the resurrection at all. But Jesus had clearly stated it three times, Mark 9, 10 and 11. He says, the son of man, that is him, would be killed and after three days rise again. Nobody believed him. And second, did you notice who was missing from the whole of the last account? Who has been with Jesus throughout his time on earth? Who has followed him everywhere? Who has seen his miracles? Who have heard his teaching? Who have seen him come in Jerusalem? Who have seen him be arrested? Where on earth are the disciples? Where on earth are they? Not a word since Peter's denial of any of them. Mark 15 verse 40, just before our passage, names those who are watching on at the crucifixion. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. No disciples there. If Mark had made this up, he wouldn't have written it like this doesn't paint the disciples in a good light. Peter, commonly held to be the main witness who fed his information to Mark, and he doesn't come very well out of this, does he? Also, all the main eyewitnesses here, if they weren't the disciples, who were they? They're all women. Now, in those days, in Jewish law, women had no legal basis to be witnesses. Not a good thing. We live in a different world today, but that was the time at the stage. Again, if Mark had made this up, he wouldn't have written it like this. 
This is not how you start a story you want to spread as fact. You don't do it this way. He is risen, he is not here. Mark's passage here points to the fact that it actually happened. And he's gone ahead. Now, let's look at the impact the resurrection had on his followers. We think about our initial question of what difference does the resurrection make for us today? I'd argue it makes all the difference. Paul, the man we mentioned at the start, the man Lanks read from early, he said just what Lanks said. He said, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. What would make him say that? For him, why did the resurrection make all the difference? There'll be a number of reasons, but two main ones I want to pull out. Firstly, it makes all the difference because the punishment for sin has definitely been paid. Imagine... um, You know someone or you yourself have been sent to prison for a crime. Um, You've been sentenced with a punishment that fits the crime, five years, 10 years, 15 years, however many years. What happens when you finish living out that sentence? You walk free. When Jesus rose from the dead, we see that the punishment for sin, death, has been fully paid. On Easter Sunday, Jesus walks out free. And God is saying it's paid for. Tetelestai paid in full. Because of the resurrection, we know God has accepted the Saviour's sacrifice and we are forgiven. If Jesus is still in the grave, we're still in our sins. But because he lives, we can live forgiven and free. A dead Saviour can forgive no one. We'd never have heard of him. But our Lord did not die a meaningless death. The resurrection proves he has the authority to forgive sin. And now we know we are forgiven. Every sin and all the shame are forever gone because they're buried in the empty tomb. Now that makes all the difference and we can live a life of freedom, free from worrying about the deserved punishment for our sin because it has been paid for those who trust in him. When God on that final day judges the world, we will stand before him and instead of him seeing our sin and our rebellion, God will see Christ standing in our place. And he will see the punishment for our sin has been paid in full. Tetelestai. Praise God for this. It has been paid. That barrier we looked at last week, the curtain torn in two, has been torn in two so that we can have a relationship with God now and forever. Dealt with. What's the second reason the resurrection makes all the difference? His death means no death for us. Let's look at the disciples again. Let's look at the missing men. Did you notice what the angel said as his final words to the ladies in the tomb? He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Mark doesn't himself record these accounts of when Jesus appeared to his disciples, but the other gospels all do. We're going to flip briefly to John 20. And it's here we encounter a man called Thomas. You can go there if you want. I'll describe the story to you. You mean one of his disciples, Thomas tells a great story. I think it's a great man to think about this Easter Sunday. It's a great man to think about today. He's a stubborn skeptic. We may be sitting here in this room and you may be, I just don't believe it. The Gospels talk of 11 occasions where Jesus appeared to people, including 500 people at one time. Again, a way the Gospel writers are going, this happens, speak to the eyewitnesses. And on Easter day itself, Jesus appeared to the disciples who had gathered in a room in Jerusalem scared for their lives of the Jewish leaders. But Thomas wasn't there. The rest of them there, Thomas wasn't there. So when the other disciples say to him, we've seen the Lord, Thomas quite naturally goes, "Mm, 
Not sure you have, guys. And he goes, unless I see the nail marks, unless I see him, basically, I'm not going to believe. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my fingers in the side, I will not believe. Which is a pretty sick thing to say. You wouldn't really poke somebody's wounds, would you? He doesn't think it happened. He wants concrete evidence. He wants physical evidence. In many ways, he personifies the scientific spirit of today, doesn't he? It's quite understandable. We want facts. And this makes sense, doesn't it? As we've seen, as we've said all of this series, it's not like people 2,000 years ago are more gullible than we are. There was a reason none of the disciples were at the tomb. Dead men don't rise. A week later, though, Jesus appears to them again, and Thomas is there, we see in John 20. Thomas is there, and he sees Jesus. He puts his fingers there, and he believes, and he declares, my Lord and my God. For me, as I look at the resurrection, I understand Thomas. I don't know if you do, I really do. I understand his doubts, I understand his questions. I, I've looked at the evidence myself and personally enjoy the fact when I look at it that no historian worth their salt would ever doubt he was crucified. All will claim his body was ever found. And then I look at where the disciples' reactions comes in and it really challenges me. I think this really happened. You see, truth is not just to remain academic and theoretical, and from the disciples it didn't. If it actually happens, it provokes a response. Not only then, but also today. 30 years after Jesus appeared to Thomas, Thomas found himself preaching the gospel, teaching about Jesus in India. He was in a place called Madras, called Chennai now. Whilst he was there, he'd been preaching the gospel to the people of India. He was chased up a mountain by a pagan mob, and he was murdered as he proclaimed that Jesus was his Lord and his God. See the transition from Thomas? I don't believe it. I'm willing to die for it. That, I've been there. That is where he was killed. That is St. Thomas Mount in Chennai. And you see there, my Lord and my God. Doubting Thomas saw the risen Jesus and for him it changed everything. He became a man willing to travel miles from home. He became a man willing to preach about the life-changing impact of knowing Jesus. He became a man willing to die for his beliefs. The fact Jesus rose changed everything. It brought the church into existence. It changed history. Nearly all of the disciples died because they believed this. They were willing to die because they were convinced Jesus rose again. And because they were convinced that death was not the end. Jesus had beaten death as Gleds prayed proving it could be beaten, proving his authority over it. So when he promises a life after death with him, it's not a hollow promise. He really can promise it. Jesus' resurrection changes everything as it shows there is life beyond the grave. For those who follow Jesus, the fact we're promised eternity with Jesus forever after we die changes everything. I don't know if any of you have the same thoughts as me when watching something like James Bond. I quite enjoy James Bond. Amazing action sequences, cool gadgets, cars. But all of them aren't massively enjoyable for me for one reason. I know James Bond is never going to die. He never will. You've seen it as he hangs perilously over a clifftop with the villain standing above him, clasping on. You go, like, he's going to get out of this every single time. Even, they did even kill him off one film. One of the old ones in like the 70s, they actually kill him off. They throw him over a boat. He's dead. They have his funeral. 
and yet you know they haven't really. A, because it's 10 minutes into the film, and B, because it's James Bond. They don't kill him off. And for us, if you put your faith in Jesus, we can have that same reaction. We can take a step back, as I do when I watch James Bond, and relax, because we know how it's going to end. There's so much more we can say about what that life will be like, about heaven, about life with Jesus. Well, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering, no more death. We'll live with Jesus forever. About a place where we ourselves will have resurrection bodies made perfect by God. We can say more about that. But I think this quote helps us as we, as we close and as we land. To the extent that the future is real to you, it will change everything about how you live in the present. What difference does the resurrection make in your life? Well, as we land, two things. Jesus' resurrection, it gives us perspective and it gives us certainty. Perspective that goes, yeah, life can be hard. Think of Thomas. Think of him in India, running up that hill. Yes, there are problems in this life and there are worries, but ultimately this life is not the end. Isn't that a challenge? I found that a real challenge as I pondered this. What are we building our life on? Are we worrying if we'll earn enough, if we'll have a good enough house, if we'll get everything we want in this life? No, the resurrection shouts from the rooftops. This life isn't it. Death is not the end. Are you worried about that situation? It's temporary. Are you obsessing over a new car or a new house? It's temporary. Are you stressing because something at work and something at home? It's temporary. It doesn't necessarily take away the pain now, but the resurrection does give us some perspective. It also gives us certainty. I was at a funeral uh, last year of a good friend of mine from university. Uh, he was about 24 when he died. His name was Daff. There he is. It's quite blurry, actually. There's Daff. Fit as a fiddle. About a month before he died top-level hockey player, teacher at a school not too far from here. He became a Christian at university, he was in my hockey team, and he put his faith in Jesus. At his funeral, it was packed to the rafters, absolutely packed to the rafters, with friends from all walks of life, some who believed in Jesus, many who didn't. We sang God's praise and we declared from the rooftops that we were convinced we would see Daff again. These cards were given out, celebrating the life of Daffy Burry. It said there, Verse from Paul in 2 Timothy, I know whom I believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. A verse of certainty, not hope, certainty, not wishful thinking, certainty. And as a Christian, our lives are based on certainty. We know where we're going. Because of the resurrection, we know death is not the end. Will you trust Jesus with your death? and commit it to his hands. And Christian, will you proclaim this to your friends? What amazing news this is. Will you proclaim that to those you spend your lives with? Look, death is not the end. If this really happened, if you truly believe the resurrection happened, then it changes everything. It's the most groundbreaking news in the world. Let's go and speak of it and shout it from the rooftop. Our saviour lives. Jesus of Nazareth, who came to earth, lived amongst us, died and rose again, lives. Death has no hold on him. Isn't that a God worth praising? Christian, for our biographies, like this one of Martin Lloyd-Jones, whether we're famous enough or not to have them in this life, our biographies don't end with death. 
That's where they truly begin. His biography in heaven will be anchors long. The resurrection of Jesus is more than just a happy ending to the Easter story. In a world marked by sin, marked by suffering, marked by death, it is the hope, promise, and guarantee of a new beginning. We revel in Easter, don't we, at the good news. We celebrate it with Easter eggs. If you live in this world today, you celebrate it in some weird way with Easter bunnies. Probably missing the mark. But we revel as Christians, don't we? We celebrate the announcement that Christ is the supreme ruler over all. Who is this man? The king of all, who beat death. You can't say that that many people, any at all. What difference does a resurrection make in your life? What difference will it make for you today and for each day following? Praise God for the resurrection. Praise God that as we finish looking at this series, as we finish looking at this series, who is this man? We praise Jesus. We've seen who he is. We've seen the one who loved us so much to go to the grave for us. And who's so powerful, the one who is the king of the universe, who rose again and beat death. Who do you say he is? I stand here today and I say, I truly believe he's the risen King Jesus. And it makes all the difference. Put your trust in him today. I plead with you if you don't already. Please do it today. It makes all the difference. Do it today. Death has no hold on us. What hope, what joy, what certainty. Praise God for the resurrection. Let me pray. Father, we praise you this morning. Lord, we praise you that this morning is just a remembrance and it's every single day that this makes a difference in our lives. Lord, that you beat death and you rose again, that you are the king of the universe, that you are mighty, you are almighty, that you reverse the laws of nature and you have the power to do that and you did that for us. You did that so that we can have life everlasting, live with you forever so that we can have certainty that this life is not it. Lord, I pray for us, I pray that this will make all the difference in our lives, Lord, that we will live with a new joy, a new hope, and a new certainty, Lord, that this life, as good as it can be, but as broken as it can be, is not the end. Lord, transform our lives as we've seen you do that in the lives of the disciples, Lord. Lord, we praise you and give you all the glory because you are powerful and worthy of our praise and you beat death. Father, we praise you and we thank you this Easter morning. Amen.